You've missed a lot of classes. Um, not too late, but it's really time to buckle down. Okay, so let me introduce Professor Laura Quinney. Um, she's in the English department. She's a world expert on Blake, um, whereas I'm more like a um, Route 128 expert on Blake, um, if that. So I don't think anybody's an expert on Blake. To the extent that someone is an expert on Blake. You see, you have to be a world expert on Blake to take that view. Um, so, yeah. And uh, she has um, agreed to um, set us right, set me right on Blake and on Milton. So that's really good. I just welcome the opportunity. I love talking about Blake. I love talking about Blake. So I just um, um, really offered me this opportunity to come in and talk to you about Blake. So, so let me just quickly introduce yes, you. Do. do you know Tafara? Yes. Olivia? Olivia, hi. Ariel, I know. Yeah, yes. Meg? Meg, hi. Ryan, I know. Ryan, you know, and, and Nakul. Nakul, okay, mm -hmm. all right. Who I try to remember those names. Nakul, I know you, Meg, uh, Olivia, uh, Tafara. Okay. Um, so should, I'm just going to start talking. Yeah. I thought I'd make some general remarks. And, um, and I have a handout. Uh, right. Thanks oh. to you. I have two handouts, actually, but the, this is um, Professor Quinney's handout. Yeah, this is a handout I made the last time Wait, I I'm talked. keeping one. Blake's Milton. And it's a kind of, it's my plot summary of um, book one of Milton, which is the longer and harder, more, more complicated of the two books. Um, it helps me to find my way through it. Um, so this is, um, this is something, isn't it? <laughs> Blake's Milton. It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's very difficult. Um, gets better um, the more often you read it. Um, and you, um, you get accustomed to his, what you might call modes of signification, his ways of making meaning. Um, I think there are three. Max? Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, please do. Laura couldn't stand what I told her. I was thinking about Blake, so. <laughs> That's not true. She's here, too. Um, she regards me as a, as a, as a specter. I'm here because I love Blake now, and you know that because I keep in introducing it to our, our class. <laughs> right, we've got a high teacher-student ratio in the classroom right now. Um, okay, so, um, I mean, did you find Milton impossible? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't say impossible, but I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there are three things going on um, in Milton. Um, one is the central story, um, which is the story of Milton, the poet's redemption. Um, uh, Blake thinks, um, and we'll go into this in more detail, that um, Milton, both as a human being, as a historic person, and as a poet, particularly as the author of poet Paradise Lost, um, uh, was um, in error. Um, he was a man in error, the way Eurozen is a man in or a character in error. Um, and this matters to Blake um, in part because Milton is his major predecessor um, as an English poet, um, but also because Blake really admires Milton's own prophetic stance. Um, he admires Milton's audacity as a poet. Um, um, his taking on the Genesis story, 
um, um, his taking on the story of Satan and God, um, and his role as a revolutionary um, figure um, who took very iconoclastic views, who supported divorce, who supported regicide. Um, he thinks Milton really got almost all the way there as the great English prophetic poet. Um, but that Milton, um, he got some important things seriously wrong. Um, uh, and as I say, both as a human being, um, and, uh, and in particular in his treatment of his wives and daughters, um, and as a, um, a religious thinker, um, basically thinks, uh, Blake thinks, um, again we could say about, more about this, that Milton um, followed a false religion. Uh, not entirely false, but in certain really important ways false. And so the story that he tells in Blake's Milton is, is this, that Milton is in heaven, um, and uh, everything's settled, he's achieved eternity, he's comfortable there in heaven, and then this bard gets up and starts singing a song. It's a song which portrays um, the emergence of false religion. Um, and the failures of Western civilization. Uh, and Milton has an epiphany. Um, and he says to himself, uh, oh, I, I uh, was, um, uh, was in error. I was in error. Uh, I've got to go back and fix this. And so he descends to earth again. One of the things he, um, uh, he has to fix or one of the ways in which his redemption will be portrayed is that he has to be reunited with his emanation, Omolan, um, who is um, his feminine portion, um, who is his wives and daughters. Um, and um, He had three wives and three daughters, hence the sixfold emanation. Um, and he has to reshape um, the way that he thought about things. Um, so uh, he, the, you know, the short version, the, the short plot summary is he does go back to Earth. Um, he encounters Urizen. He encounters Satan. Um, he um, uh, doesn't exactly defeat them, but he renounces them, you might say. Um, and they and are both. Maybe, can I just paraphrase? Sure. And it's important that he doesn't defeat them both from mm -hmm. the point of view of the plot yeah. continuing, but also because to defeat the enemy is to make the enemy into a negation rather than an opposition. Mm -hmm. And so, so as always in Blake, and we saw this a little bit in America, and we saw it in the book of Urizen, if you um, destroy that which you regard as evil or um, the negative or the negation, you then take on the very features of what you've destroyed. So the revolutionary becomes a tyrant like Robespierre or Napoleon, who are people we mentioned before in this class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Thank you. And um, in fact, Urizen and Satan are not figures exterior to Milton himself. They are aspects um, uh, of his own um, personality and beliefs. Um, and so what he does is to transcend them, in fact, um, uh, uh, or to correct that part of himself, um, which, which was in error. Um, and he and Olulan are uh, reunited, and we end the poem on the brink of universal revolution. Um, so that's, that's the main story in the poem. But there's also um, uh, a, a subplot. Um, 
which um, uh, has to do with Blake himself. Um, you know, remember there are a couple of um, moments in Milton where he uses the first-person pronoun, and he says, "I was in my garden and fell Pam," and Blake entered with, through my left foot. Milton, I'm sorry, Milton, Milton entered through my left foot. That subplot is about. Um, it really is autobiographical. It's about Blake recovering his own poetic vocation. Um, after he'd been through these, uh, he, he wrote Milton um, uh, during and after the. You probably have notes on this. The three years that he spent um, outside of London, staying on the estate of a patron of his, um, and he and the patron didn't get along at all um, in the end, um, because the patron was a, um, a, a, a a poet greatly inferior to Blake, but somebody with a lot of money, who, who because he had a lot of money, suggested to Blake that he ought to listen to him, Haley, tell Blake how to write poetry. I mean, that was the essence of it. And um, can I just? So here, here might be a place if, uh, where he's attacking the kind of poetry that Haley both liked and um, supported in mm -hmm. um, his edition. Mm -hmm. um, so um, this is page 202. Um, this is Milton speaking on page 202. This is, so it's plate 48 or possibly plate 41, depending okay. on right. the order of the plates that they do. 48 is good. Um, so... Play 48 begins to bathe in the waters of life. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I was going to get to that. Oh, okay. I was going to do the whole thing, but go ahead. Oh, well, okay. So the one thing he says, you should, so we'll do the whole thing, but um, what he talks about is uh, that he will um, cast aside from poetry, this is at line seven, cast aside from poetry all that is not inspiration, that it no longer shall dare to mock with the aspersion of madness cast on the inspired. Mm -hmm. So that means people were saying to Blake, you know, you're mad, that's why you're writing this kind of thing. Um, by the tame, high finisher of paltry blots, indefinite, or paltry rhymes, or paltry harmonies, who creeps into state government like a caterpillar to destroy. Mm -hmm. So that's what standard poetry is and that's what Milton has come is to uh, to 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 get rid of that kind of poetry that the, the the kind of poetry that people recognize and you know like and it's what Blake would regard as like pop, the pop music of poetry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if you read any of Haley's poetry, actually, it, it really is. This is a great description of it. Um, you know, uh, uh, tame, uh, finished, poultry blots. Uh, yes. Um, I have two questions. Um, <clears throat> so the first one is like he. I read someone that claimed to see visions, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when we call these books like the prophetic books, is that mm -hmm. a literal? Like or yeah. Yeah. So he uses the word vision in a couple different ways, um, and it's and it's not just him. Uh, there's he he did claim to have actual what we might call hallucinatory visions to have seen things that weren't there, um, to have seen, for example, his uh, brother's spirit, uh, or to have seen, he said when he was quite young, he saw angels in the trees. Uh, angels among shepherds. Yes, that's right, that's right. And it's, um, it's not clear whether, how literally he meant that. 
Um, there's a great story uh, about him going to the equivalent of a dinner party and talking about these visions that he had had. And this scandalized or, or provoked woman he was talking to said, where, where did you have your visions? And he said, in here. <laughs> um, but then the other way he uses the word vision is the way the other romantic poets use the word vision, where it means um, a, um, uh, an inspired, um, uh, transcendental insight. Um, so it's not something you see with your eyes in that sense. It's something you see with your imagination. Uh, like yeah. the disc of the sun versus the angels. That, that the, the coin, or not the coin. The, in, in a, a golden disc in shape somewhat like a sovereign. Yeah. Some people see. Some people the see. Sun. In shape some, somewhat like a guinea, but I see a choir of angels singing oh, holy, holy, holy. holy. Oh, yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Um, yeah, he was, so when he went to the Fels, whatever. Fels, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was going to, like, on, like, recovering from this, what he described as kind of, how he'd been dead for the last 22 years of his life or something. Hmm, I'm not sure what that's a reference to. Um, yeah, so I was like, I guess, curious about Because he said that before, in the, in this really old edition, mm-hmm. I read, and before he was a slave, or like a chain, something about it being chained or like mm-hmm. the system or something. Mm-hmm. And then it was in leaving London and then going to this countryside to like start painting and writing. So I must create my own system or be enslaved by another man's? Is that That's the... something more general. Yeah. I, I haven't heard... Well, whatever he thought he was doing when mm-hmm. he went to Felpen, it turned out to disappoint his expectations. Um, he, as you know, he had to work really hard to make a living in London. Um, he was an engraver, and that's hard manual labor, and it didn't pay well. Um, uh, he was um, the only one of the romantic poets, I think, who never had any free time, um, never had any money. And so this, this man, Haley, offered him um, a sinecure, free room and board, um, on his own estate in Felpen. And Blake went thinking, finally, he would be free. Um, and Haley taught him Greek, which yeah. is important. Um, but it wasn't like that. As I mentioned before, he, he actually found it very oppressive. And so when, when he got back from uh, Felpham, he was demoralized. Um, or at least the evidence of the poem suggests that he felt um, that he had lost his, um, his own confidence as a poet. Um, and so the, 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 the subplot of Milton is about the recovery of his own um, sense of inspiration. Um, and that's um, that's what's happening when he says, you know, low-centered my left foot. He's talking about um, uh, recovering his own um, uh, sense of mission and his confidence as a, as a poet. The third thing that's happening in Milton um, is that Blake is expanding his system. Um, uh, that is, he has this, he's, he's building, or out as we would say now, I think that's actually the right proposition, he's building out his mythical um, uh, system, his or his mythology. So he starts, you know, with Thel, um, and then he develops the idea of Urson and Enotharmon and Los, and then um, he keeps adding on to this uh, mythological family 
and tweaking his analyses um, of, um, of the, what's gone wrong in, in human history. Um, so there are more characters in Milton. The story is more complicated. Um, you also notice suddenly this um, uh, plethora, this explosion of words in Hebrew, Hebrew place names from the Bible. Um, that's part of expanding his system, but it's also that he had taught himself Hebrew um, between this book and the last one. Um, and there's a sort of pure joy um, uh, in him, I think, of, of using these, um, these Hebrew words. Um, so what, what I propose to talk about, but um, if you have more pressing questions, you should let me know, is Milton's redemption. What Blake thinks Milton needs to be redeemed from and how the process of redemption takes place, since that's a central story in the poem. Um, go for it. Go for it. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Let's start then with Milton's epiphany, um, which is, uh, okay, so I have to find my page number and then... Um, you can give us plate number. Right, I give you the plate number. So it's plate 14. So... Plate 14, um, yeah, so what page is that for you? I'm looking. Um, yeah, probably 162. I mean, this is no, all... 161. No, 160 it starts. Okay. So it's on page 160. Th this is all by way of, a, of addressing Ariel's concern. What is happening? <laughs> right, so what is happening? Um, so Milton doesn't appear um, until, as you see, fairly late in the poem the central character, um, because uh, he has to be roused from his um, spiritual dogmatic slumber, slumber, his dogmatic slumber, um, by the Song of the Bard. And um, the Song of the Bard, um, I don't want to get involved in all its complexities, but you will have noticed that, that, that what Blake gets really caught up in there is the characterization of Satan, and particularly the idea of Satan as a hypocrite. Um, who manages to, um, to persuade everybody that he's a nice, a well-meaning guy, because, partly because he doesn't know himself that he's envious um, and destructive. He doesn't recognize his own um, destructiveness. I'm sorry, that's the word for it. Um, and this Satan um, is not Milton's Satan, and he's not the devil of the marriage of heaven and hell. He's really an um, avatar or a version of Urizen. Um, or the Messiah of Paradise Lost. Uh, well, according to the marriage of heaven. According to the marriage of heaven. Right, right, right. I understand what you're saying. Right. So he's, he's not to be confused with Milton Satan. That's the point. He's a you know, charismatic figure. He's, um, and the, story, the story that the, I think Blake is working on, you might say, trying to work out um, in the Bard's song, is the story of how hypocritical religion got control. Um, of, um, of Europe, um, or Western Europe, at any rate, um, you know, from from late antiquity onwards, um, and uh, it, it's 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 the story of how false religion insinuated itself um, into um, Western European culture, um, I, and I guess the suggestion is, uh, uh, in part, by pretending to be something other than what it is. Um, and it's lots and lots of people, um, uh, lots and lots of authors have um, had a lot to say about the hypocrisy of Christianity. 
um, or what they perceive to be the hypocrisy of Christianity, um, that um, uh, the talk is of mercy um, and altruism uh, and kindness, um, but the church itself um, has, over the centuries, um, um, acquired a, a, a more dubious history of um, repression, um, um, corruption. Uh, um, so like the experienced version of Holy Thursday? Remember? Go ahead. The, yeah, no, we talked about it in class. Is this a holy thing to see when all the yeah, children... exactly. In the innocent version, it's church, and it's great, and it's wonderful, but in the experienced version, we see the truth behind the oppression in Holy Thursday. Yeah, right. Well, what are the lines from London? Um, the, uh, the church, every blackening church... Appalls. How the, how the <laughs> infants cry of fear, every blackening church appalls. Something like that, and, right. Yeah. Um, so what has that got to do with Milton, right? Um, why would Milton be um, so struck by this account of um, hypocritical um, Western religion that he would um, be um, uh, have the spiritual epiphany? And the suggestion, obviously, is that he participated in that in that religion. That was the problem. So um, if you start at line fourteen, um, um, so at the bottom of page one hundred and sixty, uh, she flies to. Sorry. So Luther spoke? Right no, no, I go to eternal death. Oh, no, that's not where we are. You have something else? Yeah. Um, okay, so, huh. I can't believe it. Yeah, no, they, they, yeah, they changed the order. They changed plates, the order. Maybe. Okay. All right, I'm going to find it. Don't despair. So first, I go to eternal Yes. It's page 162. 162. 162. Oh, yeah, the Bard's There we go. Right. So, the, right. Um, so this is Milton's response to the Bard's song. He, um, at line 10, then Milton rose up from the heavens of Albion Argyrus. Um, the whole assembly wept prophetic, seeing in Milton's face and in his lineaments divine the shades of death and Umro. He took off the robe of the promise and ungirded himself with the robe of God. Um, and that's like a deconversion, a moment of deconversion, um, uh, deconversion from his own God, you might say. Umro, by the way, is Blake's name for the material world in its most... most um, hellish. Uh, hellish and deathly um, uh, form. Um, and they weep because they see um, that he is going to go back down to the material world. They see in him the shadow of his resolution to um, depart from heaven and, and return to, um, to earth. Um, he is um, renouncing um, um, the heaven uh, in which he finds himself. And he gives this wonderful speech. There are a lot of wonderful speeches in Milton, by the way. That's one of my favorite things about it. There are a lot of really um, dramatic, um, kind of rousing um, uh, speeches. He says, I go to eternal death. Huh. The nations still follow after the detestable gods of Priam in pomp of warlike selfhood, contradicting and blaspheming. When will the resurrection come to deliver the sleeping body from corruptibility? Oh, when, Lord Jesus, wilt thou come? Tarry no longer, for my soul lies at the gates of death. I will arise and look forth for the morning of the grave. I will go down to the sepulchre to see if morning breaks. I will go down to self-annihilation and eternal death, lest the last judgment come and find me unannihilate, and I be seized and given into the hands of my own selfhood. The Lamb of God is seen through mists and shadows, hovering over the sepulchres and clouds of Jehovah and winds of Elohim. 
a disk of blood distant, and heavens and earth roll dark between. What do I do here before the judgment, without my emanation, with the daughters of memory, and not with the daughters of inspiration? I, in my selfhood, am that Satan. I am that evil one. He is my specter. In my obedience to loose him from my hells, to claim the hell as my furnaces, I go to eternal death. So the moment of recognition here, the epiphany, um, it's sort of a, um, it's a classic dramatic moment, uh, the moment of recognition. You see that in, in you know, Greek tragedy um, and in tragedies in general. Um, but here it's a self-recognition. I in my selfhood am that Satan. He hears this tale about Satan and he recognizes himself in the villain. Um, in the Satan the Bible has described. Um, so what does he mean by this? Um, so a key term here is selfhood. Um, and, and, and I'll talk about that, but let's back up for a minute just to say, um, to give ourselves some footing here. What is it that um, Blake uh, thinks that Milton did wrong? Okay, so let's go from, from the easiest to the hardest things to understand or to perceive. Um, so first of all, he mistreated his wives and daughters. And this is a historical fact, um, uh, that um, he was a, a real um, controlling patriarch. Um, or at least that was the story that Blake was told. I think there's now some question about yeah. that. Um, but that was, the, that, was, that was what people thought at the time, um, that he had um, uh, three wives, um, each of whom um, he... Um, was cold and um, uh, oppressive to, and then he had three daughters whom he forced to stay home and take dictation um, of his poetry. That that was the stereotype, um, or the you know the popular imagination. Of Milton. Well, he also taught them to read Hebrew, the way Jewish kids are taught to read Hebrew in Hebrew school, which is that they can um, they they can say the word in Greek that they can mm -hmm. say the words, but they don't know what they mean. So Milton was blind and. He needed someone to read to him, so he taught them how to sound out Greek and Hebrew, the Greek and Hebrew alphabets, and so they would just spend hours reading to him texts that they couldn't possibly understand because they were in a language they didn't understand. <laughs> it's like that horrible father in the war and peace. Like the father of Prince Mary. Prince yeah. Mary. Oh, yes, I, I, I remember that. Right. Yeah, like reading really Yeah. 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 Well, that was the picture of Milton, that he was a, you know, a standard, um, um, self-absorbed patriarch. Uh, but, uh, so that's the historical Milton. Um, the, uh, maybe I was about to say deeper, but maybe that's not the right word. Um, let's just say he, he also thought that Milton, as I mentioned before, held the wrong religious views. Um, uh, you remember from um, the marriage of heaven and hell the great comment Milton makes about um, Paradise Lost. Milton was of the devil's party without knowing it. I'm sorry, Blake. I'm going to keep mixing this up. Um, Milton was of the devil's party without knowing it. So wait, that's what you said. No, it's it's Blake who said that, not Milton. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. So Blake says Milton was of the devil's party without knowing it, um, by which he means Milton invested his Satan with all the revolutionary energy that Milton himself had, 
but he makes it diabolical. He disowns it in Paradise Lost. So, so Blake thinks that Milton himself is a kind of hypocrite, a spiritual hypocrite, um, because he, um, he uh, rep in, when he comes to writing Paradise Lost, he represents obedience as the chief virtue, obedience to God, obedience to um, the principles of Christianity, um, uh, whereas um, in his own life, Milton looked like a revolutionary. He didn't, you know, he wasn't for, he wasn't actually live, he didn't actually live as an obedient citizen or an obedient, um, uh, even, even as an obedient um, uh, Christian in certain respects. Uh, so, um, so, so, so Blake thinks, Blake thinks that Milton didn't know himself, um, that he didn't know his own, um, uh, or, or he couldn't quite face up to his own or acknowledge his own, um, uh, um, uh, what's the word I want here? Independence? No. His own audacity, his own um, uh, what's the right noun for disobedience here? <laughs> his own refusal? Yeah, his, well, he didn't go the full distance of his own um, revolutionary spirit. Um, and when he came to Paradise Lost, he represented um, God in a, in, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of oppressive figure. If you've ever read Paradise Lost... You they know were the first one. two books. Uh, the first two books were not the third where God appears? We're going to get to book three. Okay, great. Yet. All right. Well, you have to see what you think of God when he appears in book three. But a lot of people think that God is actually a kind of a nasty figure in Milton's hands. Um, a... Um, a, um, he acts like John Lithgow, if you know him. <laughs> he, he, he's really sarcastic at the expense of all these people whose life, death, torture, infinite torture, he's offhandedly in control of. And he's, he just makes, he makes really vicious jokes about them to his son because um, it's basically they're insects for him. We're insects for him. Yeah. And he does things like, uh, he says to, he says, okay, I'm going to forgive Adam and Eve because they were seduced by Satan. So I'm going to give them an out. I'm going to expel them from paradise, and I'm going to make them die, and I'm going to make them labor and bring forth children in pain. And I'm going to send most of their children to hell forever. Yeah, yeah I mean, most of them are going to go. But I'm, I'm going to leave a sort of loophole for people who, uh, who might invest with grace. Um, so I'm, not, I'm going to be pretty merciful on the whole. Um, however, um, somebody's got to die um, uh, to, um, to, to pay for their sin. Um, it wouldn't be justice if they got off with mercy. No, there has to be an even trade here. Um, somebody's got to suffer. Who was willing to go from this heavenly cohort is willing to sacrifice themselves, to go down to earth, um, to be killed, um, on, uh, 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 on, uh, as a proxy uh, for, uh, for all of humanity. So, in other words, he says, I really should just kill everybody. I just, just kill Adam and Eve, right? They disobeyed me, I'm going to kill them. Now, maybe I could be merciful, but I'm only going to do it if somebody here in heaven agrees to sacrifice themselves on behalf of Adam and Eve. Now, who's going to do this? And he looks around and he says, who's going to do this? 
and Christ who's sitting at his right hand. Well, all the other angels remember, they, they check their phones. <laughs> yeah, right. There's some appointment they're supposed right. to be, they're worried about this. Yeah. And uh, he looks all around, and um, Christ says, well, you know, you know, uh, Christ actually is a nice guy. Um, in book three, he says, he says yeah, um, okay, I'm, you know, you know I, I, I want to do this for human beings. I like them. Um, and besides, you're not really going to kill me. I'll just come back up after three days. It's very strange. This dialogue between God and Christ is really weird. Um, and, um, and God doesn't, as I said, God does not come off well. Um, he comes off as a, as a kind of peculiar, exacting, um, almost, almost sadistic. Um, almost. Oh, okay. Sadistic figure. Um, so, uh, Blake's reaction to this is essentially to interrogate Milton in his own mind to say, how can you believe in God like that? How can that be your picture of God? That's just the kind of God that Milton, uh, I'm sorry, that's just the kind of image of God that Blake quarrels with all the time, that he's been quarreling with all the time. Um, that's um, the, uh, the, the punitive God, uh, according to Blake, of uh, Christianity. Um, also Judaism, he has, he doesn't like that either. Uh, the, um, the God who is mean-spirited and um, uh, cruelly punishes those who disobey his laws. Did you talk about this kind of God? I think so. Did we? Yeah. To some extent. We talked about Satan and what makes Satan the hero of Paradise Lost. Um, Next. Is it fair to say that, that what Blake's doing here is, is making Milton like his own Satan? Uh, like, but I mean, obviously, we don't need to take care of him, but to put his journey as the same journey that Satan has to make to Earth? Yeah, I think so. If that wasn't too obvious. No, I don't think so. No, I think that's right. That is that one way, maybe, if I can give a, a, a one-line plot summary of the whole poem, it's that the that the um, being of the devil's party uh, in, in the terms of marriage of heaven and hell is a spark that is important in everyone and one should find a way to do that but it's also something that we that too often happens without knowing it and for Blake Milton after he hears the, hears the bard song realizes what it means not to be of God's party and how important that is and realizes it consciously. And he then, when he enters into Blake, that is Milton teaching Blake or making Blake aware of the same thing so that Blake then becomes, his eyes are opened in the same way that the bard opens Milton's eyes, Milton opens Blake's eyes. It's not that... Blake is the superior poet, and Milton finally realizes, oh, I have to follow what Blake says. It's that Milton, hearing the bard, becomes aware of the true potential of his own insight, which he's blinded himself to, and then he makes Blake aware as well of, of what Milton has become aware of. So the bard is to Milton what Milton is to Blake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. 
I mean, what's basically what's going on here is that uh, I'm sorry. Just to go back yeah, to yeah. to explaining this, um, Milton in Blake's eyes, Milton was an Orthodox Christian, but Blake is an unorthodox Christian, and the the ideas in Christianity that Blake most objects to are ideas that he thinks that Milton held, and they are the idea that uh, of the crucifixion. That is the idea that God exacted this violent sacrifice from his own son to redeem humanity. Blake thinks that's a sick idea. Um, and that it's basically, it, it's basically sacrificial religion in another form. So sacrificial religion, uh, religion originally is you slaughter animals over the altar to appease God. Or you slaughter human beings over the altar to appease God, right? That's, that's a, you know, a basic religious form. Um, and Blake thinks that the idea of the crucifixion is just another version of that, um, only it, in a certain way, even sicker. Um, th this is his point of view. Um, and I'm not trying to deconvert anyone. Um, uh, the idea of the crucifixion is even sicker because it's God's decision to do it, and he does it to his own son, right? And so um, that's what... Um, uh, He's, um, no, actually it's more complicated than that, I won't say that. Um, so he holds against Milton that, um, one, he has this, he buys, that Milton seems to buy into this picture of God as a, a punitive patriarch, um, as a threatening God who um, actually um, uh, exacts conformity from his worshippers through threat, and um, uh, uh, sometimes through violence, um, through terror, through terror, um, and um, he um, and he holds it against Milton that he believes in the doctrine of crucifixion, um, and he holds it more deeply against Milton that Milton doesn't believe. In this case, there is a distinction between Blake and Milton. Uh, that is to say, Blake does think he's superior to Milton. That that Milton is not a true humanist. That Milton thinks that God is above and not within. Um, so, do you um, uh, did you talk to, when you talked about the marriage of heaven and hell about the line um, for every God resides within? No. Yeah, I want to get the exact quotation. I ought to know it. Um, uh, for every uh, for God resides. Uh, in the human breast, that's not quite it. Yeah, I think every breast. Uh, hold on. Um, mm, I'm just talking about the emergence of priestcraft. Uh, ah, yes. Sorry. Well, all deities reside in the human breast. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's meant for God, that all deities reside in the human breast. Um, and that means two different things. All deities reside in the human breast. It means that our gods are projections of our own selves, but it also means that the divine is really something within. So um, I can summarize this, I think, in, in um, um, quickly, if you look back at line eight of Milton, you go back to the very beginning. Um, Milton, uh, Blake starts the poem with you know, his own um, almost ironic version of an invocation to the muse. Um, come, this is line five, come into my hand by your mild power, 
descending down the nerves of my right arm from out the portals of my brain, where by your ministry the eternal, great, humanity, divine, planted is paradise. Um, so look at that phrase, the eternal, great, humanity, divine. This is a subtle correction, or allusion and correction, uh, to a phrase of Milton's. So in book three, which you're going to read, um, there's a passage where Milton... Book three of Paradise Lost, Paradise not of Milton, don't worry. Thank you, thank you. Um, book three of Paradise Lost. Milton talks at the beginning about his own blindness, and he says he's cut off from the sight of nature, um, and um, worst of all, he is cut off from the sight of the human face divine, the human face divine. Um, beautiful phrase, and uh, of course, uh, what Milton means by that is the human face is made in the image of God and therefore is divine. But look how Milton, I mean, sorry, look how Blake, yes. look how Blake changes it, right? And this is, this is like symptomatic of a huge gap between them. Blake changes it to the eternal great humanity divine. Um, so it's no longer just the human face, but also um, uh, uh, it's humanity itself that is divine. Um, and um, uh, what, what he means by that is that all deities reside in the human breast, um, that the only thing that's divine is in fact humanity. Yes. Which, you know, it's, it's um, just like in the divine image, the song is like this, right? The human form of divine as well. Yeah, that's right. That's a reference to Milton. That's a reference to Milton. That's closer to what Milton is. Yeah, it's a Blake's reference to Milton. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're here to correct, <laughs> to no, correct no. these misimpressions I no, keep I producing. Um, yeah, the human form divine. That's a play on Milton's phrase. This is more radical, the eternal, great humanity divine. Um, and uh, as I say, Blake's basic complaint about Milton is that Milton didn't go far enough, um, that he, he had the capacity to um, become a real um, prophet who could um, throw off the shackles of false religion, who could see beyond the... Um, uh, uh, the falsehoods of Christianity, but he, Milton, um, uh, uh, didn't have quite enough uh, nerve. Um, or, at any rate, that he, Milton, maybe it would be better to say that Milton was too confused in himself, too divided against himself, to, um, to be able to really break through to the truth that he was capable of seeing. Uh, um, and the most, um, the most important um, truth um, is that um, there isn't a God beyond. Um, um, and he says that somewhere, or, or, or there is a character here in Blake's Milton who says something to that effect. Don't look beyond for the God beyond. The God is in your own heart. Um, so, um, Milton, though, the, then let's go back to the speech. He then. Um, yeah, Urison says, go look up in the sky. And that's that's the Newtonian heaven, and that's the mistake, is is to be looking skyward for God. Could I, to quote from the end of um, Augury's of Innocence, mm -hmm. he says, "God appears in God is light to those poor souls who dwell in night, but does a human form display to those who dwell in realms of day?" Yes, yes. <laughs> nice, perfect, perfect. That's exactly the the, the same basic point. Um, and 
Um, but it goes a step farther by suggesting that all these um, the ways in which Milton was imperfect have a common source. And the source is ego. Um, and one way of understanding what he means by the selfhood is to translate it into the word ego, um, where what you mean is the ego that makes people grasping, defensive, uh, fearful, um, selfish, right? The negative form of ego. Um, and um, so, so, so Blake thinks that, um, for example, that in his treatments of, uh, treatment of his wives and daughters, in his insistence on being, you know, the, um, uh, the dominating patriarch, you can, what you see in that is, is, is egotism. Um, and the, um, you know, the, the sheer egotism, the desire to be the, um, uh, the master of the house. Um, and then he goes deeper, um, and he thinks that um, um, Milton's God um, is a projection of the same um, patriarch um, that Milton himself wants to be. Uh, that, um, uh, that, that, that Milton himself, let me put it this way, that Milton himself has these authoritarian, um, uh, has an authoritarian personality, um, and uh, that he's projecting that authoritarianism um, onto his God, uh, and that um, you know, Milton, as a, as a as a person, um, uh, uh, was ambitious, uh, um, self. Involved, um, uh, wanted other people to obey him, um, and that this was this was all the uh, uh, a psychological uh, phenomenon that um, came out of um, uh, out of his um, um, out of ego. Uh, I, in my selfhood, am that Satan. I am that evil one. Let me show you. I'm going to stop doing all the talking soon. I just want to show you one more passage that's related, which I, I think is quite moving. Um, and it's where Blake turns to us. Oh, I should say, <laughs> I, I forgot to let the other shoe drop there, that when Milton talks about eternal death and annihilation in the speech we were just looking at, what he's talking about is annihilating the ego, annihilating the self. That's what that language is about. He says, I've got to go back down to earth, and I've just got to... Um, dispense um, um, with my with my own egotism, um, and um, um, you know it's because he says it's my egotism that made me rigid um, and tyrannical, um, and made me um, sympathize um, with uh, an authoritarian god of my own imagination. And later he'll say that in in his last great speech. Everything that can be annihilated must be annihilated, mm -hmm. and the idea is that if things, if if institutions need protection from energy, which you know is eternal delight, then that protection will become tyrannical. Uh, people will build walls, for example, mm -hmm. in order to make war against one another. Yeah, make yeah. war against one another and build walls and um, declare emergencies in order to build them, in order to uh, protect 
institutions that then become, even if there's a good impulse behind them, as in some ideas of religion, they then become tyrannical in the protection of what is now simply labeled a good impulse rather and and thereby justifying any sort of protection, whatever. I think that's the politics of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Milton, when Milton says, still looking at the speech, we were, uh, this first speech, I go to eternal death. Um, what happens uh, at line 34 is he says, Milton said, I go to eternal death. Eternity shuddered. Yes. Because, and the Eternals are wrong here, because when he says, I go to eternal death, it sounds awful, right? But in fact, what he means by it is um, that he's going to shed his ego and, and, and be morally redeemed and spiritually redeemed. But to the Eternals, it sounds like suicide. Um, that's, that's, um, that's their misapprehension. And, and, and Blake's point here is that it is a really scary idea, in fact. It's a very scary prospect. Um, the prospect of annihilating your ego. Um, that feels like, so that, you know, isn't that self-annihilation? That's what it, it seems like. That's what it sounds like. Um, and the Eternals here who are shuddering at this idea, that's because they're thinking this way, um, that to, um, uh, to annihilate the selfhood, to um, dispense with the ego, is to lose your identity altogether, which is, you know, what could be more fearful um, than that prospect. Um, so I just wanted to look... Um, um, before we open it up to, to questions, at the passage where Blake asks us to do the same. Um, so for me, this is plate 20. I don't know if we have the same plate. Um, it's the passage that begins, Now Albion Sleeping Humanity. Begin to turn on his couch. This is page 170. So what's happening here is that Milton um, is um, um, coming down from heaven and things on earth are beginning to stir um, because um, uh, there's a kind of series of concentric circles here. So Milton's redemption um, is going to bring about the redemption of England, is going to bring about the redemption of the West and so forth. So things are starting to change. Albion, and you know that means England. Now, Albion's sleeping humanity began to turn upon his couch. In other words, humanity begins to wake up. Um, uh, the, 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 the spiritual essence of humanity. Feeling the electric flame of Milton's awful precipitate descent. See thou the little winged fly, smaller than a grain of sand? It has a heart like thee. A brain open to heaven and hell, with inside wondrous and expansive. Its gates are not closed. I hope thine are not. Hence it clothes itself in rich array. Hence thou art clothed with human beauty, O thou mortal man. Seek not thy heavenly father then beyond the skies. There's the line I was searching for. Yeah. There chaos dwells, an ancient night, an og, an anak old. For every human heart has gates of brass and bars of animate, which few dare unbar because dread og and anak guard the gates terrific and each mortal brain is walled and loaded round within. And Og and Anak watch here. Here is the seat of Satan in its webs. For in brain and heart and loins, gates open beyond Satan's seat to the city of Golganuza, which is the spiritual fourfold London in the loins of Albion. Um, and so what he's, he's making a plea to us 
Um, he says, I hope your gates are, uh, your, your heart is not closed. Um, and then he moves on to a generalization. He says, every human heart has gates of brass and bars of animate. Um, meaning that everyone um, has an identity that they seek to protect and an ego that they seek to protect. Um, and um, uh, they don't know that within them um, in, uh, there are gates um, that open to, um, uh, um, to spiritual redemption. Um, but we, we close those gates off in ourselves. Um, and um, uh, because we're um, so frightened um, and um, uh, so frightened of losing ourselves, um, so frightened of being overwhelmed, we do, we do the wrong thing, we clinch up um, instead of being expansive and open to others and to experience. Um, and so the, it turns out this story applies to us. Um, and this is the, the, the one moment I find it very poignant where Blake turns to us and addresses the reader and says, this is a story for you, too. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what else would you like to... Same. More of the same? No, no. I'm just saying same. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. You're agreeing with me. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, so, is he... Is, was Blake writing from a place of... Um, like, respecting Milton's craft, but mm. not the idea? No. Like, the aesthetics and the craft, but not... Well, a lot of the ideas, just not all of them. I mean, Milton was really his hero, um, but he was a hero who had some had a foot of play, um, uh, and um, the um, Milton has to has to purge himself of the last temptation to become a counter oppressor. So Milton, what's really, what's good about Milton, what's really important about Milton is that he's revolutionary and that he is essentially on the side of the rebels in Paradise Lost and it's clear to Blake that Milton regards the god of Paradise Lost the way the two of us do, if, if not all of you, but I think maybe all of us, and that Milton understood kingship as tyranny and was therefore in historically a revolutionary, and that he saw that he represented God as a tyrant in the same way that King Charles I was a tyrant and that kings are tyrants. And that he was, but that the revolution was what was at the time called the Revolution of the Saints, and it was a Puritan revolution. And the Puritan revolution is one in which the people who were extremely demanding of spiritual seriousness in their leaders also demanded it of their followers. And what happens is then being demanding, Puritan starts, Puritan was originally an insulting word, and it's now again an insulting word, like post-Hawthorne. Uh, no one wants to be called puritanical, no one um, likes the, the silliness of the American Puritans in something like the Scarlet Letter. But for a while, what it meant was pure in the good sense. And the, what Blake thinks happens to Milton is that he gets seduced by that idea, that going against the, the tyranny of the king 
turns into a kind of internalized demand to be absolutely um, um, to, to follow the laws of God in a way that takes them that, that treats them as the letter of the law. That is to be puritanical in every way. And so this is a danger of being in the right then becomes dangerously the possibility of imposing the rightness that you're sure is yours. Self-righteousness. Yeah, so rightness turns into Mm self-righteousness. And Blake thought that's what happened to Milton, that what was important about Milton, every, you know, millions of people are self-righteous. Very few of them are Milton. And so what's important about Milton, what makes it it a shame that Milton is self-righteous, is that Milton is Milton. And Milton being Milton is much more important than Milton being self-righteous. And what happens in Blake's Milton is that the dead Milton is convinced away, begins to understand, has a vision of his own um, descent into self-righteousness, which is why he gets rewarded with heaven. You know, it's like being given um, a lovely DACA on the Black Sea. Um, His, he... Um, and gives up that reward and goes back to his original and good and right impulse towards the truth and towards human freedom and towards the human form divine or the divine human, um, the divine humanity. And, but he needs to be awakened. He has, towards the end, he goes off in the wrong direction. And he is then awakened to his true, what he truly is. We would call it his true self, except the whole point is that selfhood is selfish. And so he um, is reminded of what's most central about him and something that he needs a reminder of. And that fact of being reminded is not really a bug but a feature of Blake's universe, which is that it's... You know, the the downside of what's sometimes called the orc cycle, the downside of the fact that the revolutionaries become tyrants is that the revolutionaries become tyrants and that you can't sustain and maintain a revolution. And historically, we know this is the case. I mean, not Blake, you know, post-Blake, it continues to be the case. The upside of that is that those moments, those reminders, the time when you're reminded, the time when you recover, which is going to be a great romantic trope, and inspiration that seemed lost, the time when you experience the fact of loss rather than denying that it occurred, than imagining that you've, um, what is it, I, I saw it for something without pain, um, I suffer joy without pain. Um, that, that when you realize that there is no joy without pain, that means that you get re-inspired. And that possibility of re-inspiration, that, you know, inspiration is something new bursting upon you, and that's glorious for Blake. That's a great thing when a new inspiration bursts upon you. But how do you sustain that? And... Well, what happens is you get numb to the inspiration, you turn it into a system, and when you turn it into a system, the inspiration part is lost, 
but that also mean, makes it possible for there to be to for you to be receptive to a new inspiration, because it will burst out against the background, against the uninspiring background that you have mistakenly established. So, for Blake, that can the idea would be for that to happen every second, every every pulsation of an artery, to use um, the term that he uses, but it's a pulse, and in Blake and in Milton, inspiration comes as a pulse. And that means it explodes and then it decays. And, but the decay is the condition for its next explosion. And to feel that as itself an inspiring fact is, the, is what the pulse should be, is to feel the fact that the decay is not necessarily disaster or the end of things, but the coming of the new possibility. So one, one contrary that Blake talks about is that between generation and regeneration, and the idea of generation is um, a negative one, not negative in the Blake sense, but, but it's, it's generation means something like giving yourself over to this vegetable world and, do you agree with us? And that um, what it means is that it's the powers of biology, let's say, that are um, simply causing um, um, animate objects, biological beings, to pursue their own ends, um, a Darwinian survival of the fittest, let's say. And then regeneration is when what's living becomes aware of itself as living and becomes aware of life. And so you can't have regeneration without having generation. And the moment of generation is, is a negative one. It's the creation of the fallen world. It's what the book of Urizen is about. Urizen is a figure of generation or creates the generated world. And um, that's, the state, that's a state of dismal woe. But the regeneration is, is the um, uh, uh, reaction and explosion against generation. And that's the inspiration and, and the moment of liberation. So that... Yes. Yeah, okay. Just checking with the experts. Um, and I think that that's, that's what happens. And the way it happens, you know, one thing to notice, one thing that people say is that you can't put the... It, you can't get a, a, a through line, a temporal through line. In Milton, you can't put it in in sequential order. That things don't happen in sequential order in Milton. It's more like they're happening at different scales. And there's the scale in which it happens in the Song of the Bard, which is the scale among the Eternals. And then there's the six thousand years. And then there's the pulsation of an artery. And there's what happens in heaven. And there's what happens in the um, visible universe. And then there's what happens on Earth. And in some sense, all of those things are simultaneous. And so the different scales of time all map into each other. They're self-similar in that sense. And it's not that one thing happens and then another thing happens, but that there's a conceptual sequence. So one conceptual sequence, which I think is really important and maybe important even if you're not a Blakeian at all, one conceptual sequence is that you read a poet, you are a poet and you read a poet, and as Emily Dickinson says, the top of your head is taken off. 
and that becomes a moment of inspiration. So there's a kind of passing of the baton from poet to poet that this poem is describing as well, which is that Blake can be Blake because he read Milton and because Milton was had such a powerful effect on him. And then Blake can also feel that in order to keep Milton alive, you have to not just read Milton, but write Milton. Um, that is that you have to write the next Paradise Lost, that every hundred years, to use his um, idea of Milton being in heaven for a hundred years, that every hundred years, another prophetic poet has to come along and not say, okay, the prophecy is already written, so we're set. Now we build a system in a church based on what the prophets have said. But another prophet has to come inspired by the same spirit of prophecy and by a spirit of prophecy that comes to the later prophet from the earlier one. And so that's what it means for, for Milton to be inspired by the bard, who is just the poet in general, the figure of the poet in general, not a bard, but the bard, and, the, and then Milton entering into Blake's left foot is Milton inspiring Blake to write, as, to, to write with the same passion and force that he recognizes Milton wrote with. And in, in fact, if you look at plate, what I have is plate 38. Um, so, um, and the 48 starry regions. <laughs> yeah, towards the end, in, in book two? Uh, it, uh, yeah, in book two. It's when, uh, when Milton appears, actually appears to Blake. Um, in the garden. So how does it start? Um, the heavens are the cherub, the twelve guards are gods. Yeah, towards the very end. Uh, yeah, so this is when Blake is in his garden and Olalon appears to him. Um, but then also Milton appears at line five of this plate. And Milton, collecting all his fibers into impregnable strength, descended down a paved work of all kinds of precious stones out from the eastern sky, descending down into my cottage garden, clothed in black, severe, and silent, he descended. I guess looking the way he does in portraits, um, mm -hmm. in actual historical portraits, um, where Milton is um, garbed like a Puritan, very austerely in black. Um, and um, this, this appearance here seems to allow Blake to have this vision of Satan, to see into um, the, the very interior Satan. Uh, if you look at uh, 15 and following, I also stood in Satan's bosom and beheld its desolations. Um, so uh, um, there's, it's, just to repeat what you said in simpler terms, it's not just that Blake is saying, Milton's got to get his act together and I know how to um, portray him doing it. <laughs> It's that working, well, that's what you were saying before, it's that, uh, Max, it's that working through, Blake's working through Milton's redemption is also redemptive for him. Um, that their two stories are running um, uh, parallel, you might say, or actually inter interconnected is a better way of putting it. Um, that Blake, too, is in need of, well, he's in need of re-inspiration. Um, and it's... Um, um, it's, he's sharing this journey with Milton in a certain way um, on, on his way to his own um, recovery.
recovery of um, poetic um, conviction. You should make a movie about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dramatic. I yeah, like, I think with the vision of, like, Milton coming down mm. from heaven in this small English... It's very cinematic. Not, yeah, it's very cinematic. Like, like you can imagine Blake, like, putting on turnips or something, and he stops with this cloak-like, cloaked <laughs> figure, and just ending. And then beholding Satan. Um, do you all have this illustration? Which one? Uh, it's. Do you have this? No, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, no, no. This is not. You don't think so? Well, I, I don't know if you can see it. Maybe I should pass this around because this is one of my. This is my favorite plate in Milton. Um, what's happening here is uh, this is a portrayal of the moment when um, Milton uh, meets up with Mersin. Uh, and um, it's, a, it's a wonderful plate because there's something very ambiguous about the, the gesture here. Is he embracing? I mean, is he touching Urizen tenderly? Um, or is he reshaping him? Um, and the, um, what it says in the bottom here is um, to annihilate the selfhood of deceit and false forgiveness. The description, I have it on this plate 19 of this moment, the description of this moment. Okay, hang on. What is it? Silent they met. Silent they met, and silent strove among the streams of Arnon. Yeah. Um, Which is also Jacob and the angel. Right, it's Jacob and the angel. But, uh, it's, it's, well, let, let me read it. It's pretty beautiful, but I, have you found it yet? It's 160, or the plate? The, yeah, and then across from it, does it have silent... Oh, here, yeah, we have this plate. This is it, right? Oh, you do have Yeah, plate. page 166. Great, thank you. Silent they met, and silent strove among the streams of Arnon, even to Mahanaim. When with cold hand, Urizen stooped down and took up the water from the River Jordan, pouring it onto Milton's brain, the icy fluid from his broad, cold palm. But Milton took of the red clay of Sukkot, molding it with care between his palms and filling up the furrows of many years, beginning at the feet of Urizen, and on the bones, creating new flesh on the demon cold, and building him as with new clay, a human form in the valley of Beth Tamar. It's a wonderful description. Urizen literally tries to pour cold water on him. Um, but, um, but Milton um, takes the clay and reshapes Urizen, making a new man of him. Um, and uh, in, in psychological terms, I guess what's happening is that Milton is, is um, looking at his own inner Urizen, you might say. Um, that, that figure in him, the selfhood in him, the, the grasping figure, the tyrannical figure, the fearful figure, and he's trying to remake that figure. Um, uh, and um, that's, you know, you, you can look at the illustration now for yourself and see, maybe you see what I meant about the strangeness of what he's, how he's touching him with his hands, how, um, uh, and you're, is this, is he strangling him, is he, <laughs> you know, um, caressing oh, yeah. him, um, and there's Urizen with his two books of the law, right, this is this, uh, the Ten Commandments, and he's got this wretched look on his face, he needs help. <laughs> you know, he needs help. Um, it's strange because of how traditionally godlike this yes. looks. So yes. to see a man literally putting his hands on that. Also, sorry, yeah. yeah also, the, pain, the, the structure of the painting just 
reminds me, like, you know, of those paintings of, like, um, when Mary's dying and she goes up to, like, there's, the there's yeah, mm-hmm. the assumption of Mary or whatever, like, it's, it's, like, kind of, like, he's, you're, yeah, it's kind of like he's going up to God in a way. Yeah. Well, Urizen had his own book earlier. We had the book of Urizen, and now Blake is taking him and enfolding him into this bigger narrative uh, where he becomes um, uh, a, um, a manifestation of something that's in, in Milton himself. Um, his, the wrong picture that he has of God, that's why... Uh, Blake always portrays Urizen as looking like this. It's like the stereotypical image. Of yeah, there, yeah, there's some color plates in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the cover of the Book of Urizen, this is color plate 11. Um, so that's what Urizen looks like. Yeah, there he is with the, with, with the books in the New Testament. Um, and Blake always talks about his books as equivalent to his laws, you know, the idea that the religion lays down all these rules that you have to follow, that it's very inhibiting. Um, did you do the Garden of Love? No. The priests with the black gowns oh, yeah, we did, we did. walking their rounds. Yes. And Bound up with briars, all my hopes my and, joys and, and desires. desires. Yeah. My joys and desires, right. Um, uh, so... Um, so he's in this image. He seems to be trying to to remake um, the Eurasian in himself. And then just one more passage to look at here um, is um, what Milton says when he meets Satan. When he it's it's the parallel moment. So here he's meeting Eurasian, and then later he meets Satan. He confronts, you know, the uh, the Satan in himself, and he has a he, he has a very illuminating speech there. So it's plate 38 for me. Um, it begins, it's actually just a paragraph um, down from the passage we looked at where Milton descends in black, severe and silent. So it's that same page and the next so page. How does it begin? Satan, my specter, I know my power be to annihilate. It's on page 198. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, he says to Satan, and again, this is a moment of recognition. Satan, my specter. That is, he's recognizing Satan as part of himself, or as a as a, a um, um, the superego. Okay, the superego. So I mean, just so the specter is a hard word in Blake, mm-hmm. but if you look on page two hundred one, which is almost near the end. Um, this is again Milton speaking, and he says at the bottom of page 200, there is a negation and there is a contrary. So that's been a pairing that we've, I don't want to say an opposition, but maybe an opposition that we've seen several times already. There is a negation and there is a contrary. The negation must be destroyed to redeem the contraries. The negation is the specter, the reasoning power in man. This is a false body, an incrustation over my immortal spirit, a selfhood, which must be put off and annihilated away to cleanse the face of my spirit by self-examination. Yes, thank you for reading that. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that one thing Blake adds um, in to his system in this book is that now not only do characters have emanations, but they also have specters. 
Um, so now, now characters are divided in three. The emanation is the female portion, and the specter is a kind of caricature of masculinity. <laughs> yes? And there's also a, a distinction between individual and state. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, innocence is not a state. Um, right. I'm going to run out of time, so what I want to do is ha have okay. you look at this speech before you go. Um, Satan, my specter, I know my power uh, to annihilate thee and be a greater in thy place and be thy tabernacle. Um, a covering for thee to do thy will. Yes. So that would be the mistake. That would be the mistake. Look down. Such are the laws of thy false heavens, but laws of eternity are not such. Know thou, I come to self-annihilation. Such are the laws of eternity that each shall mutually annihilate himself for others' good, as I for thee. And this is the idea we, uh, we came across before, that in order to, um, to live fully spiritually and ethically, you have to destroy the ego. And then this accusation. This is the part that I wanted you to see. Um, again, coming back to the question of what Blake has against Milton's orthodox Christianity. Thy purpose and the purpose of thy priests and of thy churches is to impress on men the fear of death, to teach trembling and fear, terror, constriction, abject selfishness. Mine is to teach men to despise death and to go on in fearless majesty, annihilating scorn. Self. Self, excuse me, laughing to scorn thy laws and terrors. Um, so uh, here's a point where he, he says, you know, the real problem with your, um, your church, Milton, um, is that it um, teaches people fear and selfishness. Um, you tell them, you know, you better obey these rules, you're going to be damned to hell. Worry! You've got to get worried now. Um, and and you've got to get with the program. And, and Blake thinks that's, um, you know, totally destructive to people's um, um, you know, real divinity, um, imagination and love and, um, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, it's, um, it's not just that the churches teach people the wrong ideas in general, or the wrong ideas about God, it's that, it's that, in his opinion, Milton's church, Christianity, teaches people the wrong idea about themselves. It teaches them to be um, fearful, um, to defend their ego, to worry about their eternal salvation, to care about themselves, um, and, and not other people. And that's, um, it's, a, it's a pretty, um, pretty audacious, <laughs> pretty bold, and pretty, um, I mean, you might say extreme um, position. Yeah. Why, why does he say we should rather despise death than fear it? Um, despise as in um, treat it contemptuously, yeah. not hate it but um, despise it the way you despise a danger. To despise a danger means not to be afraid of it. I think here what Blake said um, when he was sick on, on his own deathbed, um, I am sick in body, but not in the real man, the imagination, which liveth forever. Um, so one, one position he takes is you shouldn't be afraid of your physical death um, because the, the imagination lives forever. Um, and the church teaches you to be afraid of death because, you know, because it teaches you to be afraid of the afterlife and your fate in the afterlife. Um, but Blake doesn't believe in hell at all, and he thinks that... Um, Except for this world. That, that, that being afraid of death damages you, um, and, and that you should despise death instead. You should, you know, um, 
throw off the shackles of this fear. I think we're running late. Yeah. Um, okay, for Monday, here is um, a sheet of paper which has lyrical ballads, 1798, just the, what was in the three editions of the lyrical ballads. Um, so what you should do for my, we're spending the next three classes on lyrical ballads, which are which are um, Wordsworth and Coleridge combined, and um, so this will give you a list. Just it's one sheet. This will give you a list of what's in the 1798 version of lyrical ballads. So read those poems, or at least I'm pretty sure they're both. They're all in the two Nortons, the Wordsworth and the Coleridge. Um, that are at the bookstore. I know some of you don't like using those books, but they're actually good. And um, so over the weekend, read the, the poems that are in the 1798 lyrical ballads, including especially, or that will also include, and it's important, uh, Tinter and Abbey, the last of the poems in the lyrical ballads of 1798. Okay. Um, yeah, this is, what, about 20 poems? So most of them are short. They're two or three pages. I mean, most of them are short. Some are two or three pages. I, I think. think yeah, which is long. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it's a page for her. No, 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 no. Okay, no, no. I love that. Yeah, no. The, I think the really baffling, um, the the on the surface baffling part of this course is over. Um, so uh, yeah, you'll find these poems so easy by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be like floating on air. Yes. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Don't forget your cups. Your cup. Oh. <laughs> sure. Are you rushing off? Yeah, you got to be. You got to be. You got to be. You got to be.